Hey, good morning. I was getting up early this morning, and I was like, the sermon's done, the sun is shining, the snow is fresh. <gasps> the snow is fresh. I felt like it was Finding Nemo, you know, when they're getting ready to clean the tank. And he's like, oh, I got to run out and shovel all the snow and get it cleared off. And uh, it was just one of those blessings that, I mean, as we were singing those songs, just thinking about it, his mercy is new every morning. And just as the snow reminds us, you know, just how white and beautiful it is, just he washes us whiter than snow, whiter than snow. Like that, that fresh blanket that you see out there, and it's just nothing has disturbed it, and the sun hits it just right, and you're like, whoa, that's bright, that's so beautiful. It's like, maybe some of you are photographers, like, I've got to take pictures of that, you know? And the scriptures say, he washes us whiter than that. It's just amazing who our God is. In the last couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, the pillars for the bridge. Uh, so we started uh, with worship, and we talked about worship, and we just entered into worship together in that service. And, and we are a worshiping people. And then last week, we had some, some guests with us, with us, some missionaries, but that's part of who we are here at the bridge. We have the missions pillar of the bridge, and, and we're growing in mission and understanding that God has called all of us to mission. And if you were here, you remember that we, we all stood up. We said, I'm in Christ, and we all stood up and we proclaimed that, that those of us who were in Christ that day. And I said, now look down. What are you standing on? Your feet. Now, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. Like, you have all been commissioned by Jesus to go and share the gospel. We are all on mission. It doesn't have to be in a foreign land. It's even here. And this week, there's been a lot happening in our community where there's been a lot of need for Christ. I mean, if, if you were like me, there's been so much going on. And even with the passing of Bruce Larson, there's been so many different opportunities to talk with people and to grieve with people and to, to weep with them and to laugh with them with the things that they're remembering and to talk about Christ and hope that we have, that we have, because we, in Christ, we do not mourn like the world. We have a hope that is eternal. And today we're going to talk about how God has made us relational, another pillar of the bridge. We are a relational people. God is in relationship, he creates us in his image, and he creates us to be relational. And so our scripture passage today is going to be Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 44. And what I want us to see is the early church when it started. What did they do? Just what was that thing that they said, this is how we are supposed to behave. We've received Jesus, and this is what we're going to do. So I want to draw our attention there, and we're going to look at relationships today. And then we're going to bring it all together at the end by having communion as one people. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. This is what we read. So this is after Peter preaches the, the sermon at Pentecost, and, and thousands come to faith. And they, they come, and they, and they start the first church. And this is what it says in verse 42. And they, this is all of those who received Christ, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, to, and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together 
and had all things in common. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. We just want to look at these first believers. And we want to see what compelled them, what drove them, the reasons they did the things they did. Because, Father, that hasn't changed. And as we read it, it seems so simple. We tend to complicate things. So, Father, this morning, we just pray that you would simplify it for us again. That we wouldn't make life in Christ to be something that has so many facets and schemes, but it would just be simply walking with you and and seeing what that looks like. So as we look at this, Holy Spirit, teach us. Show us where we need to be better in relationships. Show us why we should be in relationships. Teach us to, to react and to respond to you the way the first Christians, as they received the gospel, did. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to note is that a Christian is a person who is changed. I mean, that seems pretty obvious. Peter's preaching there to these Jews who have come to celebrate the Passover at Pentecost, and they hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen from the dead, and that they can have new life in him. And as they're hearing this gospel message of of new life in the Messiah, they say, what do we do? And he says, repent of your old life, receive Christ, and be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus. He says, you got to be changed. You, you can't live as you're living anymore. You have to let go of the old life, repent of the old ways of living, and come to Christ, to receive him, be made new. And that's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says we, we have to be born again. And Nicodemus, thinking about this idea, he's like, this seems ludicrous. He's like, I'm an old man. I can't be born a second time. Like, that doesn't happen. But Jesus is talking about that spiritual birth, that we must be made new spiritually. We have to be changed, transformed. And we know this, but I think we take it for granted. The Christian is a new creature. He's changed. He's transformed. That 3,000 people walked into a new life, and they said, this is what the new life must look like. They said, we're we're walking away from the old man and walking into the new man. And this is how the new man behaves. That's what we're seeing. And so this is what they they are are growing in. So I I want us to think about this for a minute. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we read this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Listen, if you are in Christ, you don't belong to yourself. We like to have Jesus bless our plans. And he says, I have a calling and a life for you. And if you're with me, you follow my life. You follow my scheme for your life. You follow my plans. I bought you at a great price. He shed his blood for you to redeem you, to make you new. And he says, and I have put my Holy Spirit in you, and you are my temple. I tabernacle with you now. You don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem. You don't have to go to a tent of meeting. I meet you right where you are, right in Somerset, 
right in Osceola, in Hudson, in New Richmond. I meet you where you live. The moment your feet hit the floor, I am there in your bedroom meeting you. And you belong to me. I have bought you at, at a great price. You're not your own. And so often we're like, oh, the new Christian life, I just add a little Jesus to it. You know, it's like I have this great meal and I sprinkle a little Jesus, a seasoning on top. And it makes it just all nice and good. No, like you are not your own. You're different. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old is gone. The old has passed away. You say, well, Rob, I still struggle with so many different things. I said, what do you mean the old is gone? The old has passed away. Well, let's look at a couple more. Colossians 3, 2 and 3. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. The old is gone. He is dead. And you're like, well, I still struggle with some of this stuff, with the flesh and, and with sin. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Okay, let's look at another one. Ephesians 4.24. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. All right, the old man's dead. He has been buried with Christ. So put on the new self. What do we struggle with so often? We walk in the old patterns. We walk in the old ways. We still struggle with it because we're not putting on the new self. Christ has made us new, and he says, put on the new life. Walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be set free from those things. Put on the new and walk in the fullness of Christ, and you won't satisfy the flesh. You will walk in the Spirit. And what we do, we say, well, I kind of like some of this old stuff. One pastor put it this way. He said, when I start walking in, in the old, Jesus likes to meet me and, and, and get, on, get on me. He, get, he kind of ch chastens me. And I'll be praying, and I'll be like, Jesus, I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. And, and Jesus will show up, and he's like, well, that's not yours. He said, I took that from you. I made you new. You gave it to me, and now you've taken it back. He said, you've actually stolen from me. I took the old life. I took all that sin. I took all of that from you. And now you're trying to take it back. He said, I gave you the new life. So many of us like the old pattern. We're used to it. It's comfortable. We understand it. We like the world. But to be friends with the world is to be an enemy of God. So we're, we're to put on the new self, walk in the newness of life, which means we have to be putting off the old. He's dead. He's been buried with Christ. Romans 6, 6, that's exactly what he says here. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to it. Look at that. God's desire is that you would not be enslaved to the old man, the old woman, that you would be free from it, that you would put on the new, and that you'd walk in victory over sin. He died on the cross. The old man died with Christ. He was crucified with him so that you can walk in new life. The Christian is a transformed creature. He is something different. He is not living the old way and trying to 
just add Jesus to it. John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If you've been born again, you're born of the Spirit. If you haven't been born again, you're still of the flesh. And that, that's the dichotomy. It's this or that. In 1 John 3, 9, it says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, what he's saying is we're being transformed. God is transforming us. The Holy Spirit's in us. He's changing us. I was looking at a, a parable before I came up here. It's, it's not in my notes, so this one's on the fly. <laughs> You're like, oh, great. It's going to be a long sermon today. Um, Luke chapter 5. Jesus is questioned about fasting, and it says this. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then he will fast in those days. He also told them this parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskin. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. Jesus is talking about a transformed life, about a new life. Here's what so often happens. We're old wineskins before we come to faith. And we have all these holes in the old wineskin, and so we, someone says, you need Jesus. And so we say, great, I'll cut a piece out of the new wineskin and I'll patch it onto the old. And what happens? It tears. It says it, it, it schisms. It, it has this tearing when you put the wine, the new wine in. The new wine is the new life. It's the Holy Spirit. He can't go into the old life. He destroys it. The Holy Spirit goes into the new life. And you don't patch Jesus on the old life and hope that it gets better. No, you have to be new. New life, new wine, goes into new wineskins. And so we need to realize that we are something new. In Christ, you are something new, different. And in this passage of Acts, these people heard the gospel and they realized, I am not as I was. So what does it mean to be with Jesus now? What does this mean to be made new? You know, the world needs Christians. It needs transformed lives. It needs to see what God does. They the world needs to see the king of glory and what he does when he comes into a person's life, how they are changed. So here in Acts, we see these first believers. And we see how they pattern themselves after this new life. For, for them, we see that being called Christian meant that Jesus is to be the biggest thing in their life. We know that they're doing other stuff. This isn't all of their life. 
I mean, you read it and you're just like, that's all they did. They just got together and they ate together and they worshiped all day long and they sang songs all day long and they prayed all day long. And they, No, these people had to go to the market. They had to keep care of their house. Some of them never left Jerusalem after converting, so they had to find jobs. And, and they're like, this is, but this is the center of their life. Christ spills into everything. So what we see here is, is, is the core of what they thought it meant to be a disciple. It means we follow the teachings, we fellowship, we break bread together, we continue in prayer. We do this continually in all that we do. This is what we do the most. This is who we are. So the question is, is Christ the most important thing to us? Is he the most important thing to you? Paul Tripp had a devotion out this week. I don't know if you follow him. If, if not, um, you can get his stuff online. You can look it up, and he's got a weekly uh, little devotion that he sends out. But he was talking this week about uh, Lent, and one of the things he was talking about is, uh, is Jesus really your God? Is Jesus really the most important thing in your life? He said, take, take time. He had a bunch of questions, but one of the main questions that he had there was, if something left your life, would it be devastating to you? Is there something in your life that this is the most important thing? If I, if I had to say, this I cannot live without, what would this be? What's that thing that, that you get up for? What's that thing that you strive after? What's that thing that, that you're making plans to see fulfilled? To them, they get up for Jesus. They strive after Christ. They want to see the kingdom fulfilled in their life. All the other stuff is okay, but they want something more. They want something eternal. They want something that is of God, not of this world. Do we have the same perspective? That's really the question. We should. So in verse 42, again, we read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This word devoted, it shows steadfast strength, constantly showing strength, which prevails in spite of any difficulty. It endures. It's a fixed direction. Now, that is awesome when we think about devoted to different things, isn't it? Like we we often think about those athletes who are devoted to their sport and all the things that they, how they're disciplined. They give up all these different opportunities. Why? Because it won't help them. It doesn't get them where they want to go. They're devoted to making the Olympics or making it professionally or doing something great. And so they're devoted to that thing and they put the blinders on like the horse, you know. All they can see is in front of them is what they're devoted to. And that's where, and we make a big deal about it. Man, those guys are so disciplined, so devoted. That's, that should be the Christian. And that devotion should be towards their Christ. That's what we should see. If we're, if we were down in Charleston uh, in our college years, and, and hey, if you go to Charleston, it's a great place. Don't pay for the carriage ride. <laughs> Walk the sidewalk beside them. They go slow enough. You don't have to pay the exuberant amount of money. And if you get tired of smelling the horse, you can go shopping. So um, we would walk, but those horses, they're on the main street. 
and there's traffic and people and all this stuff around them. So what do they do? They put blinders on the horses so the horses can only see what's there. Listen, that our, we should have Christ blinders, right? We should have these on so we're looking at Jesus. That's all we're seeing. We're not being distracted. We're going after him. He is the goal. We're devoted to that. So what are they devoted in? They're devoted in the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So this is what we see in the very first Christians. And we also need to realize something. It wasn't long ago that many of them were, were in, the, in the Jerusalem there, thinking they knew who Jesus was. And what were they yelling? Away with him, crucify him. And now they see the gospel and they're like, I have a new life. This is, this is not the Jesus I knew. So what do I do? I have to know him. So I'm going to devote myself, what, to the word of God, to the teaching. I need to know this Jesus because he is not just some guy from Nazareth. He is the Messiah. He is the risen Lord. So they are trying to first devote themselves to knowing him, which is the teaching. They're devoted to teaching. This is the fullness of teaching, not just the gospel alone. They want the fullness of teaching. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is a great commission. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 120 up on the mountain, he's about to leave. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the disciple. A disciple is one who walks after the Savior in all his ways. So he says, don't just teach them the gospel. He says, teach them everything I taught you, everything I showed you, all that stuff that, that we did for three years together and all those parables that you didn't understand and now you know. <laughs> teach them. Teach them. Teach them. And they come and they say, I want to know Jesus. Teach me. So they want to know the fullness. So all that Christ taught the disciples, they're now teaching this group of people. So it's kind of like, you know, I think of a game show. You know, you get to the end of the game show and there's always the prizes, right? And it's like, let's tell them what they won. And they're like, oh, and then they start, and they got the new bedroom set, and they got this and that. And then all of a sudden they're like, but wait, there's more. It's a brand new car, you know, and they're like, oh, you know, they follow. It's, it's like that, right? There's more. There's more to this Christian life than just, oh, Jesus loves me. He saved me. That is fantastic, but there's more. There's more. He wants you to know him fully, to walk in all of Christ, in all of his ways. And so the disciples are saying, we want to tell you everything. We want to teach you more about him. You need to receive all of him, all of his ways. Walk in him. And they are like, yes, I want to know him. They are devoted to the teaching. Sadly, that's not our culture today. What's our culture today? Oh, pastor, that was a good one, but man, that's kind of long. <laughs> you know, we, we want quick teaching. We want a couple of truths, a couple of things that it's like, oh, those rhymed. I could hang, I can put that in my memory. That was great. Like, like we as a culture are not devoted to wanting to know Christ in his fullness. As Christians, we have to break that culture. 
We have to break that worldly culture. We can't be content with, with two-minute two snippets because videos have trained us to think in two-minute sound bites. We've got we to gotta be like these disciples and say, I want to know. And then be like the, the Christians that are in persecuted nations around this world. When someone comes and they teach them, they say, can you stay all night with us and just teach us? Because we don't know if you can come back tomorrow. We don't know if we can be here tomorrow, but we want it all. Can you just stay as long as you can and just keep teaching the Bible to us? There's a hunger there. These disciples want the teaching. They hunger for it. They want, they want the word. It's going to fuel everything. It's going to fuel how they think and how they understand things. It's going to tell them what fellowship looks like. They want more because they know there's so much they've missed. Verses 20 through, 22 through 24 we read uh, in Acts 2, we read this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your minds as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that. It was not possible for him to be held by it. They're like, I need to know that Jesus. I need to know everything about him. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Here, this Christ, we need to know him. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We need to know this Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. What is the wrath to come? Who, why is he delivering us? What is, like all these questions are swirling in their minds. They want to know. So they devote themselves to the teaching. They wanted to know what has happened to them. Isn't that a normal question? Isn't that a normal question? Like, something occurs and you're like, what's happened to me? Like, something's changed. You're like, what's going on? I mean, when we think about uh, just in life, sometimes when, when you get sick and you're wondering why your body's reacting the way it is, you're like, what's going on? What's happening? Why is, it, why is my body doing this? Why is it not doing this anymore? You know? And we want to know. Like, that's a normal question. They want to know what's going on in this new life. One commentary puts it this way, and this is actually a, a, a snippet out of a sermon. It says, Then came the gift of the new life in the Spirit, the possibility of a new start. Not only are my sins forgiven, I am made a child of God. I have a new nature. I am born again. I am a new person. The Spirit of God is in me, enabling me, and strengthening me. 
progressively sanctifying me. Well, what for? To prepare me for the everlasting glory that awaits me in Christ. That is the apostolic message, and that is what these people longed to hear more and more of. They knew they had new life, but they said, we need more of it. Where in the world still, and the world and the flesh and the devil are powerful, and we are weak. Tell us more of this teaching. They wanted to know what it means to be in Christ, and Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. They wanted to know more about this blessed spirit who can change people and give them power. He wanted, they wanted to know about the world that is to come, not this passing evil world, but that future world and its pleasures and its joys. And who could teach them all but the apostles? And how did they know? Because Christ had revealed it unto them. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. They wanted to know so they could have the fullness of Christ, and they wanted to know so they could tell others. They wanted to tell others. They're, they're now in a new covenant. They went from old covenant to new covenant. And, and they're now in the last days. Like, they're hearing this gospel, and all of a sudden there's like, this is now the last days. Jesus is returning. And they're like, what does all this mean? And they want to be able to tell people. They have the Holy Spirit now. That's, that's huge. I mean, don't miss that. They have the Spirit of God now. Where before, He would come and go. He would come, and we see in the Old Testament, the Spirit would, would rest and, and do His work, and He would come and He would leave. But now He is in each and every one who believes. This is utterly transformational. Very new. And they're like, I want to be able to tell people about this. What God does, he dwells with us now, with all of his people. So they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. The second thing, it says they were devoted to the fellowship with one another. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And the fellowship. They devoted themselves to what is called koinonia. Maybe you've heard that word. It's a very popular Christian word. And sometimes uh, we, we talk about that fellowship, that joining together, that, that camaraderie we have in Christ. It's a deep association, a, a true communion together, a, that, a close relationship. And it's worded in such a way in the Greek that what it's trying to get you to see is the fellowship that we have as Christians in Christ, the closest kind of koinonia that there is, is the marriage Husband and wife together, two, becoming one flesh, that, that cooperation of coming together. He says, that's how we are. We're new. We're a family. We're joined together. We have this deep affection for one another, this, this coming together. Part of it is coming together at the Lord's table, too, that breaking of bread. It's a fellowship. It's a fellowship that is deep. It's not superficial. It's a fellowship that knows one another. It's a fellowship that hurts when someone's hurting, rejoices when someone's rejoicing. It's a fellowship where people call you up and say, I got a flat tire, and I know you live nearby. Can you come help me? 
And you say, yeah, I'm right there. It's a fellowship where it's not surface level, where you just walk into the church occasionally, shake some hands and say, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, okay, well, God bless you. I hope you have a great day. Did you, did you shovel out okay? Yes, oh, great, we did too. That's not church, and that's not koinonia. Koinonia is, <laughs> koinonia, honestly, is that you came in here and you thought, man, it was hard today. And I wonder if Dave and Susan are getting shoveled out who live right up the street. Or Sharon, it's not Susan, sorry. And you're wondering, are they going to get shoveled out? If not, I should go shovel them out. I mean, we're thinking about one another in that way. That's quinonia. That's fellowship. That's knowing when, when we're struggling and hurting to, to visit, to be praying. Quinonia is what we experienced last night in the fellowship. We had just a handful of us praying here at worship and prayer. And, and one we've been praying for and praying for and praying for, and, and seeing him work through physical struggles. Finally, as we're talking with him, say, hey, have you run to Jesus as your rescue? Is he your foundation of life? And he says, well, I'm working on it. And we say, no, it's just receive it. And he says, I want that. And he receives Christ because we've been in fellowship with him. And he sees what fellowship is, and he's tasted it, and he says, I want that life. That's what koinonia does. It's that deep fellowship with one another. They have this. They became Christians. They became one. Galatians 3.28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, there is no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. They are joined in Christ. Ephesians 2.12-16. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace... <clears throat> and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. We are one, brought together, one. Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. That's the new guy, new gal. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this Spirit who dwells in you. You are one in the Spirit, joined together in Christ, we all have the same Holy Spirit. 
He didn't give me a different one because I got this role of pastoring and shepherding. We all receive the same spirit of life. He joined us together as one. Many would say in our, in our culture today, doctrine divides, so let's just focus on fellowship. Have you heard that? Uh, we don't want to, you know, doctrine, there's so many people think different things. Doctrine divides, so let's just focus on fellowship. Let's just, let's just come together. You know, if you say you love Jesus, great, we'll all just come together. And, and there's what in the past, after Vatican II, was the great ecumenical movement. This ecumenism was bringing all kinds of people together just under this banner of Jesus. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about those who have come together, who know the Christ of the Bible, who have come to know this God who sent his son to redeem us, who gave us his Holy Spirit. It is true that there are some nuances in doctrine that are fine to have. But in the essentials, we must agree or we cannot have unity. We cannot come together. And so when the apostles are teaching, they're teaching in agreement. They're teaching in unity. They're teaching the same thing from region to region to region. The churches are believing the same gospel. They're coming together in the same spirit, the same salvation. They're walking in the same newness of life. They're joined together. Satan loves to get in and twist scripture and move different things and, and break up the fellowships in different ways. And eventually what is called Christianity is not even recognizable by the Bible standard of Christianity. But people would say, well, that's just, they love Jesus too, so let's just all come together. No, it's, it's under the, the banner of, of his revelation, who he is. They have unity and together because they know him. They know who he is. They know who they follow. And so they have fellowship because of doctrine as well. It's true the gospel and, and sound biblical teaching joins us. So we have to know it. 1 John three fourteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So, as we know God, as we grow in Christ, as we are one, how do we know that we are having true koinonia? Do you love one another? Do you love one another? As Andre was saying, you may not like me, I may not like you, but we're commanded to love one another. Like we come together. Yeah. Do you love one another? We should strive to serve and love each other. Verses 44 and 45 in our passage say this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, to, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this isn't the first, this isn't like, look, Christianity is supposed to be communist. No, that's not what you're saying. They were not compelled and they weren't made to do it. What this is saying is that there was no need among them. Why? Because they looked out for each other, they loved each other, and if one had an abundance, he would gladly sell to make sure that another had their daily bread on the table. And later, as the fellowship grew, the widows were being neglected, so what do they do? They find faithful men, full of the Holy Spirit, to distribute 
to those who are being neglected, the resources of the body to show love to those. That's koinonia. That's the church. That's fellowship. Looking out for each other. One of the key factors of, of the church, of church health, is to design ways for fellowship to be an integral part of the church life, week in, week out. For us to be a healthy fellowship, we need to have ways to where we have koinonia, where we can connect. Some of it will be organic, and others, we, we, we make avenues. We, we make ways to come together. So if fellowship is absent, the church, what tends to happen is it plateaus, it declines, and it, it slowly dies. What's one of the first questions a new person asks when they walk through the door? Do you know? I know. I get asked it all the time. Where's the bathroom? That's, okay, what's the second question <laughs> that new people tend to ask when they walk through the door? How do I get connected? Or they'll say it this way. Do you have small groups? Or they'll say it this way. Do you have a, a mom's thing for, for our kids? Or they'll say, what do you have for, your, for, for children ministry? They will ask about connecting. How do I have fellowship? I've walked through your door. You guys obviously love Jesus. How do I connect? So now I'm going to give the heavy lifting to Christina Moraz. And she's going to come up, and she's thinking, thanks, Rob. She's going to come up, and she's going to talk a little bit of how we are trying to make ways to connect. So come on up. Morning, everybody. Um, those of you who may not know this is that um, I was hired on in the fall of last year to head up the counseling ministry, but also this area of fellowship and connection. What I first wanted to share with you guys is some of you may not know that we have open groups to get connected, and some of them are new groups that are hopefully going to minister to people who have not been in a group before or to people who have certain needs. So I wanted to highlight a few of them. Um, one of them is that we have a sewing group. So this is a newer group. It's just being started. What we're trying to do is bless um, families who have had a new baby with a, maybe a burp rag or a blanket. Um, there's also options for women in Stillwater that will take gifts for um, the new babies that are born there as well. Um, and then also looking out for maybe making things for Grace Place. There's um, a foster shop community um, in Lindstrom that too will take things. And so there's a sewing group that we have. Uh, there is a homeschool group, so they meet twice a month, and we do various activities, get kids together. It's a great place for moms to talk about how homeschooling is going um, and if we can support one another. Um, we have a meals group. So this group has been really um, gung-ho lately because there's been a lot of need for meals. Um, but we give meals to people who may be sick, um, who maybe just had a baby, or who um, maybe had something just really good going on in their life, but their life is really kind of busy and just needs some meals. So that's another um, group as well. We have the ultimate group. The ultimate group, if you've heard the ultimate group, it's the same ultimate group, but we're trying to um, have an avenue for bridge, bridge people to get involved in it. And this group is for people who like healthy competition. 
<laughs> That's really what it is. They play um, ultimate frisbee. They play play broomball, and it it's for only for adults because the 40 year olds who are part of it have found that when we play against 17 year olds, it doesn't really go very well. So it's for it's for people who are older than 18. Um, we have a walking group on Monday mornings that gets together, and we just we meet at the church and we walk uh, the neighborhoods. We just share life together. We're a group of people who just like to get out and see nature and walk. We don't do it when it's 30 below, but otherwise we are here walking. Um, we also just have community groups. So there's a group that meets here on Monday nights that is open for new, for new members as well. Um, so I'm gonna show you in a little bit like how, how can you get connected to these groups, but I wanted you to tell you all of them. I think I got all of them. Um, then um, we do have a need for uh, a new group to start, which is a mom's group. We used to have mops, and then the whole COVID thing happened. And that's one of the groups that there is a need to restart that up. One of the elements they need is childcare. So if you are a person who's like, hey, I could maybe help out with some childcare so that group of moms can meet, can you let me know? And if you don't see me, let Rob know. But we would love to start that group up again because there's a lot of young moms in the area that are trying to find ways to connect. Um, and we would love to have this space be one for them where they can come and connect. Um, we also have some classes that are coming up, and we, uh, again, I'll show you guys how you can get into those classes really easy, but there's Origins and All In that is happening pretty soon, so if you want to learn more about the bridge and how to get involved more into the bridge or about becoming a member, those would be two of the classes. And then Arise with the Guys is back. Those of you who've who've done that before, it is in person this year, and that's a men's event. Um, they're going to be um, heading over to Eden Prairie. They're gonna go to a conference. Tony Dungy is the leader of that, um, and then some other um, sports um, professionals will be there, and then they're going out to eat at a ribs place. Um, so if you want to come and eat ribs or smoked food, that's what they're doing. Um, so we have a new app, and I know everyone's like, oh my gosh, another app. Like, who needs to download another app on their phone? Um, the reality is apps do make it a little bit easier for people just to join things. And so we have an app. It's called the Church Center app. And this app houses um, all of the groups that I just talked about. So when you go to the app, you can say, hey, I want to know about Sunday school classes, or I want to know about just upcoming events are coming up. I want to know more about what are youth opportunities, or I want to know about community groups. You can go on that app, and you can click any of these. And once you sign up an account, it's literally you push the button that says join. It's super, super easy to get involved in a group. And then through our app, you can also get... Um, links to the podcast. You can get links to all of the sermons. Um, and so there's other things off of that as well that you can connect with. Um, so here's a little explanation of why we are moving towards an app, because um, I know some of us are like, well, I'm trying to weed out using my phone. And this allows us to do follow-up better. So what this does is it helps us to know where are we not meeting the needs of our community? Where is a group lacking? Where can we create groups that there are not groups? And so that's what this allows us to do. So this is going to allow the church staff and the elders to be able to meet the needs of new people a lot better. Um, this also allows uh, automatic emails to be sent out and automatic notifications. So for our leaders who like to lead but they don't really have that gift of administration, the system does it for them where it sends out emails to, the, to you guys to remind you of upcoming events. And so it, it takes some pressure off of our leaders to remember to always, oh, I got to email them or I got to remind them. The system just does it for them. Um, 
And then with some of these groups, they have message boards. So those of you who like hate group text threads, these groups, some of these groups have message boards where you can go in there and say, okay, I have this need or I have this going on. Our community group personally uses it. And so we use it to plan how, what meals are we gonna bring for youth group next week? And it was really easy to communicate on there um, what was going on or if we need to say like, oh, I can't make it or I have a prayer request. You can use the message boards to connect with each other through that as well. Um, so for those of you who have not downloaded this, um, you can go to this, this page on the website um, actually tells you and gives you the link. So it is Android and I, um, iPhone compatible. And once you download it, you're going to have to search for our church. It's just called the Bridge Bible Church. It'll ask you for your phone number, and um, I think it'll ask you for a six-digit code to link up. But then it's on your phone, and then you guys can search through anything on it to join any groups. If you saw some of the groups today that I was just talking about, you're like, oh, I would love to join that group. There will be a button right on it where you can do. So here is a list of all of the groups and how you can just look, um, click on them and join any of them. Um, if you have questions about how do I download this on my device or I can't find it in the app store or you just want to learn how to navigate it, um, let me know. I will be around after the service if any of you guys need help with it. Um, or if you want to know more about some of the groups, let me know. Or if you yourself have an idea for a group and you're like, I didn't know if people would like this. It's probably there is at least one or two other people who would love to have a group um, that can do that could, would meet together with you. So if you have an idea, um, come and let me know that as well, and we can talk about pay, maybe bringing um, that group to this church and connecting other people. Because a lot of you guys have gifts that maybe could be utilized in a group, but you just not asked or said, "Hey, I have this gifting, and I'd love to share it with somebody." So connect with me afterwards. Thank you, Christina. So. God's blessed us that in this day and age we have technology that the early church did not have and ways to make connecting easier, but we have to connect. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like, we could have this super app and have all these different ways, but unless we are committed, devoted to the fellowship, it's just going to be an app on a web page somewhere or on your phone that you've never used. We have to be determined to follow the example of the early church to be in fellowship with one another, to connect. And so take advantage of that. Pray where you need to be connected and, and, and follow the Spirit in that. What we're going to do right now is we're going to take communion together. It says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and they devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread could be sharing in home meals, but it could also mean taking the Lord's Supper together. And so they were coming together saying, we are a new creature. We, collectively, are new people. We, we belong to Jesus. And this Jesus we want to remember. His body was broken for us. It's the bread that Jesus broke that night before he was crucified. He took the bread and he broke and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he tells us to remember it. As often as we take communion, remember that he was broken for our transgressions, that he came to rescue us, to make us new, to take us from death to life, from darkness to light. So they say, we want to break bread together. We want to remember Jesus was broken for us and his blood was spilled for us. That night, 
he also took the cup of wine and he blessed it. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. That means that God dwells with you. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells with you. You are new. You are made new. The new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, as often as you do it, do this in remembrance of me. And the early church said, we, we want to remember him together. We want to do that. So that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to pray. And uh, I would ask that you just take a moment and reflect on these couple of things that I just hit on today. The apostles' teaching and, and fellowship and, and what Christina shared about how you can get connected. Just ask the Spirit what he'd have you do in those areas. And then before you come and take communion, also ask God just to show you if there's anything in your life that is a hindrance between you and your relationship with him, that, that the Spirit would just reveal that and repent of those things. To say, God, I don't want that between us. I repent of that. And then come with joy, knowing that, that he gives us the power to walk in victory over those things that would keep us from him. He will work in our lives as we submit and as we walk with him, he will transform us so that we can walk in victory in the fullness of that new man, new woman. So will you stand and pray with me? Father, we thank you for Christ who makes us new. We thank you for the example of the early church and we want to follow that example. We at the bridge, we are relational on purpose because you have made us relational people. And as your people, we come now to take communion together, to break bread together. So Father, we remember all that Christ has done and we celebrate. And we remember that not only did he do these beautiful things for us, but the apostles taught us and Christ taught us through the apostles that he will return, that he has gone to prepare a place for us and if he has gone to prepare a place, he will come and receive us to himself that we can be with him forever. So we say, come Lord Jesus, come. But in the tarry, May we follow you in the fullness of new life. So we come rejoicing as we take communion as your people. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.